Welcome in, everybody. Let's chat a little bit about the early National Signing Day and how Notre Dame performed. And also, let's discuss the Iowa State bowl game matchup, which has not been getting a lot of talk since the recruiting day stuff happened. And with Chip Long leaving that, I feel like that's dominated everybody's thoughts. And the game sneaked up upon us. You're going to have Christmas and then boom, here's the game. So we need to cover all of this. Let's do so. Right, we are back. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, I said Merry Christmas. If that offends you too damn bad, it's Merry Christmas. <laughs> and so, <laughs> sorry, but some of this stuff gets to me. It's Merry Christmas to me and Merry Christmas to you. Anyways, thank you for joining me. We got a lot to go over um, and, and I want to give it some time. I also want to have Nathan Erbach join me the second half of the show from Slap the Sign. He does a lot of recruiting-specific work, and I want to bring him in and uh, get his opinion on uh, this class overall, how Notre Dame did. Everybody knows the big names that we're all excited about. I want him to go over some of the other names that we can expect to make an impact uh, and so, so we got a lot to go over. Let's get the introduction out of the way. Take care of some business. Let's get into this. Obviously on YouTube, type in Always Irish. You can find me there. Twitter, type in Always Irish in the search bar or at JKZND4. Big Heads Media provides us with the access for iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Like, subscribe, review, share, write mean comments in the YouTube. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. Especially the iTunes one really does help when you review and rate it. It helps us uh, raise up in the search bar. So if you feel like you want to give me something for Christmas, go give it a good review on our iTunes podcast. That would be very much appreciated. As always, support for the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel comes from Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools to protect those family jewels. Fellas, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. How could this be? It's because Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer is guaranteed to not leave your berry basket in a casket. But that's not all. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver and Anti-Shaping Deodorant and Moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why stop there. Always use the right tools for the job. Go to manscaped.com, enter the promo code BIGHEADS, get 20% off and free shipping if you do so. Listen, don't rob your knob of a great grooming experience. Manscaped.com, promo code BIGHEADS, 20% off and free shipping. That being said, let's talk a little bit about early signing day, shall we? First things first, before we even talk about Notre Dame's National Signing Day, I want to give a congratulations to a team on their how they did on National Signing Day. I would like to officially congratu congratulate Southern Cal for landing the 79th best class in the nation, all 11 guys. They are positioned directly between Bowling Green and Louisiana. So I would like to congratulate them on their 79th ranked class. And you know what? This is payback for all the stuff that went on when they had the evil empire with a poodle head, Pete Carroll, all the houses, all the cars, all the money, everything that led to that. This is payback for it. 
So I don't feel bad for him at all. I don't care if it put Helton in a bad spot. All his job insecurity led to that. I don't care. This is payback for what they did when everybody let him get away with murder out there in Hollywood. So I don't feel bad for him a second. Do you know how bad your institution has to be running when you are the brand name of USC and you have all that talent within a hundred mile radius and you're not getting any of it? The incompetence level that's going on there is absolutely unbelievable. I'm here for all of it. I love all of it. And this is what you get. So now that I got that out of the way, I, I want to start this by revisiting a few years ago. This channel started in the middle. It was October of 2016 when everything was falling out for under, from under us. Everything was a disaster. Everybody knows how that year went. I couldn't handle it anymore. Twitter wasn't enough characters for me to get out what I needed. Boom, that was the genesis that led me to buy a cheap recorder and start doing this and see if anybody would listen. So when I did that, and 2016 ended, there was the question if Kelly would be back or not. Then they said he was coming back. I laid out a whole bunch of things that I needed this program to get more modern with the times with and upgrade to be able to compete moving forward if Brian Kelly was going to come back. Among the things on that list, it was things like having a nutrition program, upgrading strength and conditioning, all that, that kind of stuff, aside from just on the field things. One of the items I had had to do with the entire recruiting operation and getting it more modernized. Now, there's a couple different parts to this. One part is how the staff actually recruits, the actual coaches. But a whole other half of the discussion had to do with behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm talking about the literal recruiting administrative office at Notre Dame and how just little simple things like the size of it. How many people are there that are sending mail to recruits, doing all this stuff, making them feel special, getting another touch point in by mailing them some pot of gold and all this stuff, whatever they did in the past. Things like that aren't even staff related, like how good they're actually recruiting. But that's more behind the scenes stuff that also makes a difference. We were behind the times in this area, and I wanted it all modernized, and I got to tell you, you guys, they've done it. They've done almost everything that I wanted. I'm talking about, there was one point where when Urban Meyer had it really rolling at Ohio State, where they had literally double the size of the administrative recruiting office Notre Dame had. That was totally unacceptable to me. If it's legal, it's not breaking any rules. Why are you letting Urban Meyer have double the staff to help get recruits than Notre Dame has? Things like that I have no patience for. There's no reason for Notre Dame to be behind in that area. So things like that. Modern use of social media to connect with kids. Um... More things with video production and technology uh, to reach these kids and highlight what they're doing when they commit, all this kind of stuff. You might say, John, that's such a small thing. It all matters. It all matters. Look at these kids now. They're all on social media. That's their life. You got to connect to them in the medium that they relate to most. And we're doing that now. I thought the, the thing they did with the families talking about the new signees, having their parents and families uh, commentating on those videos. You know what? I Listen, you, you all know this if you listen to this show. I rip Notre Dame a lot for things that they deserve it for. I got to tell you, that was one of the classiest things I've seen in a long, long time. I'm critical of Notre Dame when they deserve it. But I got to tell you. Having those families talking about the recruits and their journey and, and all this stuff, and it's the holidays, and in a way, it's it's a reciprocal gift. Like, the parents did such a good job 
have you know uh, raising a kid that's on the straight and narrow takes school seriously trains hard for football and the payoff now you know the, the parents work so hard for that the payoff now is their kid gets to a Notre Dame degree for free okay so so it that whole thing was pure class and an example of what I'm talking about getting creative in the recruiting department I love it they've upgraded it and it's They've upgraded this area significantly from the administrative side, especially. I love it. They've done what I've asked, and they're to be congratulated for recognizing these upgrades were needed and doing so. Now I want to switch into the other half, which is the actual staff and their recruiting efforts. And so everybody listening to this that's a Notre Dame fan understands that it's tricky to recruit at Notre Dame. You you just you can't cast as big of a net. You don't have feeder programs, junior colleges. You can't oversign 10 guys and play with the numbers. You can't do any of this. These guys have to actually be able to read and write. God forbid, God forbid a college student has to be able to read and write to play football. But... These are all the unique challenges that Notre Dame faces, and for that reason, I always say this. Notre Dame has a smaller margin for error, so they have to be more efficient in the way they recruit. It's just the way it is. I don't want us to be like everybody else. My big mission here is to hopefully someday before I'm six feet under the ground, be able to say, damn it, even in modern football, Notre Dame, we did it our way, we did it the right way, and we won. We proved it could be done. That's the dream, okay? So it's harder to recruit at Notre Dame. You, you all know the reasons why. So for that reason, you have to be maximally efficient when you're Notre Dame. And I feel like I'm seeing more of this than I did in the past, a perfect example of, of this efficiency being displayed specifically in this cycle is you lost your offensive coordinator that's a pretty good recruiter right before signing day. For a lot of teams, that could cause a bunch of people to jump off the boat, go the other way, have a bunch of questions, all this stuff. We get to signing day, all 17 verbal commits signed, and then you picked up an 18th. There was no signing day drama, no guys flipping Nobody tweeting me, freaking out, saying this is happening behind the scenes. It's turning into a mess. Like, we didn't have any of that. That's a really, really good sign. That shows me they're being more efficient in recruiting. That shows me they're targeting a net of kids that are serious about Notre Dame on and off the field. These are kids that are going to stick. These aren't kids you're giving a scholarship to because they're great athletes but they're not going to make it in the classroom. They're causing off the field issues, getting arrested, doing all this stuff. Have you noticed the last couple years that stuff's been minimalized? It feels to me like the staff's doing a better job of being able to identify those kids that check all the boxes that are going to stick, going to contribute on Saturdays and not be a, a problem, not be a headache, not have to worry if you can keep them in school. Or keep them from getting in trouble on the weekends. So I got to commend everybody involved with that. And the other guy I got to commend is Brian Polian. I'm still going to be hard on Brian Polian about special teams. But in terms of being recruiting coordinator, tip of the cap to Brian Polian. I think he's really, really good at that job. I just need a special teams guy. I just need a special teams guy. And he ain't it. But he's a hell of a recruiting coordinator. He's doing a really good job. The other thing that I really like is it seems like this staff has narrowed down some very specific things they're looking for that they identify and cultivate and try and find combining different even different position groups. And two of those things that kept coming up for this cycle specifically were speed and length. And I really, really like hearing the staff talking about these are the things we're looking for in our guys. I don't care what position. Speed and length. And it, it just shows me they're doing a better job of targeting a specific subset of guys that offer them the things they're looking for that they think they need to get to the next level. 
Speed's one of them. Length's one of them. Versatility's another one of them. This class has a bunch of guys that could do different things. That increases your flexibility and your margin for error in terms of a class in totality. That you can maybe move a guy around or have him do some different things if if there's a log jam at one position or a guy's body develops to where he can transition into another role. I like that. Those are all improvements. So for purposes of discussing the actual rankings, I use the 247 composite. Um, that's just the one I use. Okay, so I know rivals might have something different and ESPN might have something different. I just use the, the 247 one, the composite. And so when you look at this right now, they're ranked, Notre Dame's class is ranked 11th on the 247. So here's one thing you got to think about when you're looking at those rankings overall. You have to realize the Notre Dame class intentionally only has 18 guys in it. So you're not going to, no matter what, you're not going to be ranked as high as a team with 24, 25, 23 guys because there's just, they have too many more guys than you have for you to outrank them, okay? So you really just don't look at that, but look at the class itself and how it's built. You know what else is really helpful? I hear this a lot and I believe it. There are some years where, Notre Dame lands guys and it's like yeah that's a good get for Notre Dame that's the qualifier that's a good get for Notre Dame I'm interested in good gets for Notre Dame that are over Clemson and Georgia and Ohio State like like I want to see offer sheets to where we're taking guys that those teams want any kid good enough to play at Ohio State I'm interested any kid good enough to be offered by the top SEC schools, I'm interested. If Clemson is interested, I'm interested. So looking at some of these offer sheets informs you of what the best programs think of these guys. And, and so it's very clear to me when I look at this, this is probably Brian Kelly's top class so far. It has what we're all begging for, some top-end elite Play early, playmakers. Okay, so when you're looking at this class, obviously the top three names everybody's in love with is Chris Tyree, Mayer, the tight end, and Jordan Johnson, the five-star receiver. Like, those are the top-end elite dudes. I'm not making this comparison in a literal way, but I think about the playoff game against Clemson last year. And I did a lot of recruiting analysis for the classes leading up to that game. And what I found was Clemson and Notre Dame and their overall recruiting averages, the five years leading up to us meeting in the playoff game, were really pretty darn close, one or two spots away in terms of the class's overall average. But what you learned when we played Clemson was, while the classes might be average overall, Notre Dame's was more of just kind of a well-rounded, solid class. Where Clemson differentiated itself is they had some high-end, five-star, elite playmaking talent, the quarterback, those receivers, and the defensive line specifically. So that was their high-end. Then they had some lower-end guys that pulled the average down, but they do a really good job of developing them into contributors. So what you learned from that playoff game is it takes elite playmakers to win a playoff game. Notre Dame didn't have them or didn't have enough. That's where guys like Chris Tyree, Jordan Johnson, and Mayer come in. And so, yeah, you're going to nitpick little things with a recruiting class. But overall, this is a step above and beyond what most Brian Kelly classes are. And, and I have some things that kind of highlight that in case there's anybody who doesn't believe it. So the last 10 classes, Brian Kelly had one five-star guy total. You know who it was? Gunnar Keel, who isn't even a part of the program. And he's got two in this cycle alone with Chris Tyree and Jordan Johnson. YouTube their highlights if you want to get excited. Go ahead and do that for Mayer too. And when you do it for Mayer, a couple things I noticed. One is, he's a tight end's size and he's burning these high schoolers running like post patterns right down the middle of the field full speed 
The other thing I liked with Mayer, and I know he's not going to play defense at Notre Dame, but on his high school tape, you could see him murdering guys. He was playing like middle linebacker, just pile driving these poor little high school kids. So the the we're tapping into that elite playmaker pool. And the best part about it is you're going to piggyback this in with 2021 which is building a bunch of those guys in its own right. This year, six schools had four more top 50 players in their recruiting classes. And I'm guessing you guys can guess who they are. Clemson, seven. Ohio State, six. Georgia, five. Bama, five. LSU, four. Notre Dame, four. So, like, when you look at this, the very, very, very top-end talent, top 50 in the whole country, when you're in there behind Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, LSU, I don't know what else you can ask for. That's a, I mean, that's with the restrictions Notre Dame has on recruiting, that's pretty darn good. And, and so the best part of that is Notre Dame has four top 50 guys in this class, and they already have five top 100 players verbally committed for the 2021 class. With more that we're leading for, like my favorite, Will Shipley, who's the next McCaffrey from Stanford and the Panthers. And Notre Dame's supposed to be leading for him, five-star number one running back in the entire nation. Okay? And so when you look at that, that's the best part about 2020 is I'm already getting excited about stacking that class with 2021. They had already They have seven commits. Five of them are top 100 kids already. If you look at this class carefully, you will notice there's four corners in this 2020 class. That is a direct reaction to totally whiffing and getting none in the 2017 cycle. I always talk about that. You can't swing and miss at an entire position group, and it doesn't burn you the next year or two years. It's about three years, four years down the line. That's where we are now with those that corner position. That's why you see them loading up with four in this class out of an 18 total class. So you got to make up for it somewhere. Hopefully, this will get them more on solid footing to where you don't have these class imbalances. But that's a direct reaction to totally swinging and missing in the 17 cycle. That's one thing I did notice. But the other thing I really, really, really like about this class is you obviously have the top-end skill talent names that even the most, you know, uh, not even a diehard recruit Nick would recognize with Chris Tyree, Mayer, and Jordan Johnson. But what I like is there seems to be an entire cluster of guys underneath that group that a lot of people really love that think are hidden gems, have huge upside, that could be contributors to that five-star level. Watts comes to mind. Mills comes to mind. Batello's a guy a lot of recruiting people are saying, watch out for this kid. So that's the other thing I like. You have people really, really excited about names that aren't the names everybody knows. That tells you your class has some real quality depth to it. And so overall, really, really tidy. That, that's what I like so much about this. this it seemed tidy. It seemed precise. The staff seemed to have a better idea of exactly what they were targeting, found the kids that fitted, knew they weren't going to get jerked around by these kids on signing day. It was a really efficient, tight, tidy recruiting effort, and I really like that. I feel like maybe, well, for one thing, I think this is probably the best overall staff Brian Kelly's had, both on the field and recruiting, but I feel like they're starting to... Find that sweet spot better of kids that are good fits for Notre Dame and top-notch athletes. And I feel like that's going to build. And the 2021 class has a chance to be truly elite. That leads me into my next point. You got all this momentum. People are feeling good about recruiting. 2021 already looks good. The next thing you got to do is not lose this bowl game. Not lose this bowl game. And that's the thing that's kind of getting lost here because you had all the chip long stuff. Okay, then you had the signing day stuff. 
and we kind of forget we're almost only a week. I'm recording this Friday night. We're only a week away from this game. So that's the other thing. You want to keep all these good vibes going? Don't lose this bowl game to a five-loss team. I don't care how gritty they are. I don't care how highly thought of their coach is. I know their quarterback throws it all over. Just find a way to win this game so the arrows just pointing straight up going into the offseason. And so I want to talk a little, just a little bit about Iowa State. I'll be honest. I don't watch a lot of Iowa State. Who does? Unless they're playing Oklahoma or something at that 11 o'clock, you know, Big 12 slot on a Saturday. I don't see a lot of Iowa State. But I do have some general thoughts about it. Okay, here's number one. I respect the hell out of their program. I respect the hell out of Campbell and what he's done. And they're a really, really solid team. And Campbell's getting a lot more out of Iowa State football than anybody ever should. And that's to be totally commended. But I think the trickiest part of this bowl game is Iowa State's thrilled as can be to have a shot at Notre Dame. And nobody around Notre Dame Nation, myself included, is excited or into this bowl game. I really hope the team isn't thinking like we are. I don't want to be here. And so it's a really, really tricky dynamic because it's like no Notre Dame people are excited about this bowl game. We don't really want to participate in it. Um, I got my tent pitched, so to speak. Okay, but but you end up in this interesting scenario where nobody's that excited about the game, but I sure as hell don't want to lose it. Don't don't conflate the two. Just because I'm not excited about it doesn't mean it's okay to lose. That okay, those are two separate things. It's it's like <laughs> you just gotta find a way to win it. And so I think the first thing is the first big question I have is offensively. How's this going to look for Notre Dame? How's this going to run? Is it going to run smoothly? Or is it, are we going to have to burn all of our timeouts because nobody could get the play in because everything's messed up because Chip Long's not doing it? So that's the number one thing I'm looking for is offensively, is it efficient? Can you obviously tell Chip Long's not there and everything looks bad? We're slow getting plays in. We're burning timeouts because there's all this confusion. Or is it just going to run smoothly? We've had a few weeks to get used to our new arrangement without Chip Long, however it's going to be, if it's Tommy Calm plays, Taylor, whatever it is. So that's one question mark off is, is for Notre Dame offensively. How are you going to look? Defensively for Notre Dame, sophomore quarterback Brock Purdy. 3,760 yards, 27 touchdowns. The kid throws a good deep ball. He likes to throw the deep ball. They hit a lot of big plays on the deep ball. And uh, and so that's what Notre Dame has to prepare for. Um, you could have all the advantages you want, roster-wise, talent, overall, facilities, all this stuff. All it takes is this kid to burn you for a couple big plays over the top. None of that stuff matters. Okay, so... Better ramp up that pass rush. The one thing that does help Iowa State is if they can run the ball a little bit to open up those passing lanes. Notre Dame's pretty darn stout against the run. So stop the run first, load up that pass rush, and not let this kid burn you deep. That's the plan. What is a little bit interesting about Iowa State's season, they started out 5-2 and two through seven games. They were giving up 21 points a game average. The last five games have fell apart a little bit, two and three, and they were allowing 31 points a game. And so I, it's just tricky to look at Iowa State. Uh, they have the five losses they combined by like 21 points or something total in five losses. They're a gritty team. They're a tough team. Uh, it's just really hard to kind of figure them out. Kind of a weird season when you look at it. Overall, they're 67th against the pass, allowing 227 yards per game. Uh, 75th versus the run, averaging giving up 135 a game. 52nd in points, averaging 25 overall. 
And so we kind of broke down early in the season, late in the season. The difference is there. They're more susceptible to giving up more points late. Hopefully that plays in Notre Dame's favor. Offensively for them, 20th in total offense. They're averaging almost 460 yards a game, almost 320 passing, 34-point average scoring. Um, it, they're a tough team. They're well-coached. And make no mistake about it, they're ready to beat Notre Dame. And that's just the ultimate trap of this is none of us are excited or interested in this. And then on the other side, they're licking their chops. So I expect a gritty performance. I expect a tough performance. There's no, it's, it's not even an opinion. It's a fact. Notre Dame has way more resources, way more talent. They're way more developed as a program. But that just doesn't matter if you don't come ready to play in a bowl game. And so that's kind of where we're at. It's not a slight against Iowa State. They're just Iowa State. And they're doing the best they could do. And again, I admire everything they've accomplished. They've knocked off some top teams in the Big 12, ruined some dreams recently. Like, that's ultra impressive. Campbell very well may be the next big coach, the next big thing. And so there's no doubt Notre Dame should win this game, but they got to come ready to play. You got to come ready to play. Even though I'm not excited about it on my couch, that's not an excuse for the team not to be. And so anybody that just sees Iowa State and five losses and thinks Notre Dame should just kill this team, not so fast, my friend. It'd be nice if they did, but I'm not expecting it. It really wouldn't surprise me if this turned into a, a sloppy, tight game and Notre Dame ends up winning it by 10 points at the end, but it's an ugly kind of dogfight for a lot of the game. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I have been asked why I'm not more freaked out about the potential of losing this game and, I, and why I haven't been more vocal about it. I have a really good reason for that. And that reason is... When I look at this, yeah, if we lose to a five-loss Iowa State team, I'm obviously going to lose my mind. However, what does it really do? It doesn't ruin your season. The season's over. That's why a loss like the Michigan loss was such a big deal to me because it ruined all the rest of the games because you weren't playing for anything after it. That's not on the line here. It'd just be embarrassing and I'd be mad. But it doesn't ruin an entire season. Season's over anyways. So, so in that way, that's why I'm not freaking out about it. Because there's nothing else on the line. You're not winning anything even if you win this game anyways. So, yeah, I want to win. But if we lose, it's not as devastating as Michigan because I don't have anything against the Iowa State fan base um, except the guy that did go to one of their message boards on Rivals and said he was he's an Iowa State fan. He's researching, like, learning about Notre Dame, listening to some podcasts. <laughs> and he wrote on the Rivals forum that he found mine and was laughing at me wigging out. And <laughs> it just made me laugh. Welcome aboard. Come aboard. The always Irish train. But he, he was just telling everybody else, this guy's losing his mind and it's a riot. And I think he was making fun of me, not complimenting me. But I don't care. Welcome aboard. So, so I don't know. I think some, nobody's excited about the game. You had the recruiting thing. You had the chip long thing. That all seems to be getting more attention to me than the actual game itself. So it wouldn't surprise me if this is frustrating, but Notre Dame has way more talent. They're way more established as a program. There's no reason to lose this game. Show up, play solid, win the game. So now that we did that, I do want to bring Nathan Erbach in of Slap the Sign. You could find him. Where is it? Where's my sheep? You could find him on Twitter at Las Vegas Irish 09. He does a lot of recruiting work with Slap the Sign. He has a great article there where the Slap the Sign staff kind of gave their rankings of the players we got, who they're most excited about. I encourage you all to take a look at that, get to know these players a little more. Um, but I did want to bring Nathan in to ask some recruiting-specific questions because that is his expertise and specialty and cover a couple of the bullet points on the bowl game as well. So that being said, let's bring Nathan in. So Nathan's on the line now from Slap the Sign. Thanks for joining me, Nathan. Good to talk to you again. 
You as well. You as well, John. We're making a habit of this, which uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Well, it might be for you if you spend too much time talking to me. I don't, you know, that that could be bad for you. But I, I appreciate your time. And I was telling the folks that you're my re- recruiting go-to guy. You spend a lot more time on this than a lot of uh, Notre Dame fans do, even podcasters. Like, this is right up your alley. And so I want to get your... Let's just start with this. It's clear this class is kind of a cut above what most Brian Kelly classes are. What are your overall thoughts in totality of the 18-man class? Um, I think, so obviously it's a small class with it being 18, and then if you want to add Isaiah prior into that for it to be like a 19-man class essentially. Um, no, I mean, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a small class, but I, I do think it's one of Kelly's best in terms of just actually getting talent um, when you look at it from a rating a rating standpoint versus a, you know, we have 18 guys. This class has, you know, 26 guys. Like, so they're automatically better because they added, you know, eight more guys. Um, no, I, I think he brought in a lot of impact talent. Um, and a lot of possible talent that could play next year as well. Yeah, and that's I've, I've been talking about what a big deal that is. Even if it's one, two, or three guys on each side of the ball, if they could contribute early and they're not overwhelmed and they're physically ready to, just that that gives you a boost on overall depth, competition level of position groups, and some impact guys. I mean, look at what Kyle Hamilton did. and And so that's ultra exciting and so everybody kind of knows and is in love with Tyree Johnson Mayer those are the big three they're skill position guys so they they get a lot of the attention rightfully so those are the guys you directly put points on the board but what excites me about this class is there's a lot of people like you I was reading your slap the sign article where you guys were kind of ranking the recruits I like the fact that there seems to be a cluster of guys underneath those big names that a lot of people are really excited about that have this really high-end potential aside from the guys you already know do and that are going to, it's pretty good that they're going to deliver. You're pretty sure they're going to be good. Talk to me about that next tier and some of the names that people should be paying attention to that you like. Right, right. So before I get into specific names, I kind of view this class in three different tiers. That first tier is the top seven guys. I think that those top seven, honestly, are pretty interchangeable. So I know you mentioned, you know, Tyree Johnson and Mayer. Um, but those other four in Tosh Baker, who's an offensive tackle, um, Jordan Patello, who's my actual personal favorite guy in the class, is going to end up being like a drop defensive end. Uh, Riley Mills out of Illinois, who is considered right now a strong side defensive end, but a lot of people think he's going to end up being a three technique. Um, and then uh, Xavier Watts, a wide receiver out of um, out of Nebraska. Um, from a ranking standpoint, I wouldn't necessarily put that as like their top seven, at least when you look at you know twenty four seven sports and um, you know rivals and so on and so forth. But when you look at it from the people that cover Notre Dame um, and, and know a lot about this class in general, that seems to be the consensus top seven. And I think you'll find that at least on our slap to sign, it was the same, it was the same as well. And then the next tier is, is a really small tier. I think it's Drew Pine and Michael uh, Carmody. I think those are kind of like those two guys that might end up being right up there with those other seven or they could slide down a little bit but from you know just an impact standpoint or sorry i should say there's three guys um eight uh aiden i I can't even say his name i call him ak but he's a defensive tackle uh from colorado Uh, sorry i I meant to i meant to add him in there but yeah those three guys i think are kind of in a tier of uh, of their own as well and then you have the remaining I believe seven, seven guys. And I think those guys are sort of interchangeable. A few of them will probably end up being impact guys, you know, and a few of them will get lost in the shuffle like you have in every class. Um, but, uh, yeah, outside of that, I mean, if you want me to 
if, if you want to throw a few names out there and I can give, maybe give you give you some different insight on each guy like that that would probably work well with me well it like I just love I, I really like that word of the point where we're not even saying yeah the top few guys in this class could be really good I think it's telling that we could go deeper into this and you think that I think that's an improvement from where we've been recruiting at I, I love that. I'm excited about that. Because I know you've been on Batello for a long time, and that's a name a lot of people probably don't know. So I, I think that's fantastic. So I love that. And then what do you think about what they got with Ramon, getting him late? I mean, it, we always talk about this. It's, it's a speed factor. Uh, I think his uh, – I was putting it on Twitter the other day. His – his 100-meter dash in high school is faster than both Chris Tyree and uh, Brayden Lindsay um, when they ran track in high school as well. It's a tick below Troy Pride, but we know that Troy Pride was essentially, um, I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I guess if he really tried at it, I think some people thought that he could have been a borderline Olympian in terms of his in terms of his speed, but uh, Ramon Henderson ran a ten a ten five nine in the one hundred meter dash, which is which is faster than Lindsay and, uh, and Tyree, like I mentioned. Uh, he, he's a raw prospect. He's probably right now a better wide receiver than he is a cornerback, but he has the traits uh, with the with the length and the speed that I think the staff really feels like, you know, in a couple of years they can mold into a player. And then maybe in the meantime, you know, maybe he, maybe he's on kickoff or punts or something like that, but, um, or finds a role as a gunner or something like that on special teams. Um, so no, he's, I mean, but he's a damn, he's a damn good athlete. And, you know, I, you always want those kind of guys. If, 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 uh, if they're not going to be ready right away, you'd rather have a guy that, like I said, runs a 10, six, in the 100-meter dash, then, you know, then you really don't know what you're getting there, I guess. Yeah, and I, you hit on exactly what I was going to bring up, and I mentioned this before you joined me on the program, and that was it, it felt like the staff was really specific about what they were targeting, and the three things that kept coming up were speed, length, and versatility – and I love that. I love feeling like they knew exactly what they were looking for, where they, what they need more of. And I really like that it was that focused and that you're finding guys who, like you said, if a guy's a project, it doesn't hurt to have a project and a raw talent who's faster than hell. Like that's the, that's the best possible way to have a guy that can contribute in another way while he's getting ready for a more full-time role. So I absolutely love that speed, length, and versatility are a big part of this process now. And I, I just feel like it's a more concerted effort to be precise in what they're looking for. And I really, I really like that. Um, what are your thoughts? You know, I'm glad. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say real, uh, real quick, I was going to say I'm glad you said that. Because I think there was, in, in, in the past, I think there was an emphasis on those sort of things. But they were realizing that taking a kid's word or taking a coach's word or simply even just looking at film or what they're watching on the field isn't always a gr the greatest sign. What you need is verified proof of, of speed. Because sometimes you, know, you get these kids, like, I mean, like I, I'll use the kid from the 2021 class, for example. Tyler Buckner, a lot of people really think he's going to be, you know, maybe a five-star quarterback and maybe the top guy in the country. There's also a lot of people that say he plays some of the weakest competition in California. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't know enough about California football to realize, you know, what level he's playing at. But there's a verified, you know, at least with the speed factor, like with Ramon Henderson, you know that a 10.59 in the 100-meter dash equates to legitimate speed versus I don't know what guys maybe they're talking about from previous classes or whatever. Maybe they thought they were fast because of you know they were blowing by guys in a, in a lower level of competition. I don't know, but I like the fact that they were like, you know what, we were doing something here that maybe was a tick off, and we're going to fix that. And and that's what I really like. Yeah, and that I I agree with you, and I just it just feels this cycle seemed kind of tidy, and there's no like drama on signing day. Like I'm just a big. It just feels like the staff had a better handle on what they were doing 
who they're going after, finding kids that were had genuine interest, that weren't going to play games. It just seemed like a pretty tidy effort. And for somebody as high-strung as me, I really appreciate that, you know? I, I just do, because I'm a little high-strung. And so to not have all that drama, I, I just feel like they're refining this and maybe hitting their stride. And I think the early returns of what 2021 looks like tells you there's a good chance this isn't just a one-year deal and it could build. But before we get to that, Talk to me about the new recruiting pipeline to Dusseldorf, Germany. <laughs> um, you know, there's a, a gentleman, I forget his first name. I believe his last name is Collier. Um, and he played, I think he played in the NFL. And he's done a really good job of promoting these, you know, out-of-country athletes that have kind of what we were just talking about. Not necessarily the film to back up how good they are because there's not really a lot of film that's out there in Germany or wherever these kids are at. Um, you know, but you have a guy like Alexander Ehrensberger who is 6'7", 240. He's going to come to Notre Dame at the age of 20 years old. So even though some people view him as a project, he's a man, he's a man compared to some of these kids who are going to come in at you know, maybe barely 18 years old, if 18 years old yet. Um, if, you know, if they're coming in possibly as an early enrollee, their birthday might not be till June or something like that. So, um, you know, we, we, we view this guy as a project that, but at 20 years old and, and that height and weight, I mean, who knows, maybe he's playing as a true freshman. Um, Nathan, how did, how did, how did Notre Dame find this kid? Like, it just seems so random. I heard it last year coming up. How did they even find this dude? You know what? I, I feel like I would have been able to answer that question about a year ago. I haven't really done a lot of research on him in the last several. You know, he's been committed for so long. Um, you know, and that's actually part of the reason why he doesn't have a lot of offers. Is, you know, he committed to Notre Dame after having just an FIU and Notre Dame offer. <laughs> And so a lot of these schools kind of just stopped recruiting him, which, you know, a lot, a lot of people kind of think that's, uh, you know, an excuse or whatever. Um, but there are kids like that out there. They just, you know, they commit to a school, they say, hey, I'm done. And then, you know, they don't get a lot of interest after that. And, you know, being in Germany, that's kind of the same thing. But no, I, I, I'm sure Mike Elston just, you know, he got word of him from somebody. And like I said, this Collier guy's done a really good job of, in the last couple of years of really promoting those guys. So it's becoming more of a trend to at least, you know, and some of them moved to the States, so you don't really hear about him as much as, as a guy like, like, like Ehrensberger that stayed in Germany throughout his high school career. But no, I, like I said, I think it was mostly just, uh, you know, Elston caught word, decided to go watch him play and, and really liked the intangibles that he saw. And it's to, to me, a big body like that, it's totally worth taking a flyer on. He seems like a, a good fit, a good kid. I'm totally fine trying this. And maybe you found something you could go to down the well again. So I'm I'm totally fine with it. It's just really going to be interesting to see how what he turns into. But, I mean, 6'7", 240s, that's a big boy. And once he gets in that weight program and the nutrition and – He's going to bulk up and be a big boy. I see no problem with taking guys like that. Not necessarily maybe on an every year basis because you only have a limited amount of scholarships. But look what look what Audie, um, Audie Ogundesi's turned into. I mean, Kay was a freak at 6'6", like 220 coming out of high school. You know, you, you're not always going to hit on those guys. You know, they don't always work out. But I'll take the length and the speed factor and – you know, the power factor, whatever, every time you can and, you know, hope it works out every now and then. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. And then, you know what else? This kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But what do you expect Notre Dame to get from getting Isaiah Pryor coming directly over from Ohio State with two <sighs> I believe he has two years of playing eligibility left. I mean, is that, that going to be the guy that it's him and Hamilton back there? Or like... Where do you see him fitting into this secondary? I think they really wanted to duplicate what they had this year um, with Gilman, Elliott, and and Hamilton being like the three guys, and they all—I mean, not maybe not equal playing time, but they all play a crap ton. So I think they want that out of Pryor, Hamilton, and Houston Griffith, who's now back at safety um, after the experiment with corner the first year. 
Um, and he, really the only reason he didn't, he didn't see playing time this year was because, I mean, how are you going to start over the three guys I just mentioned? So uh, I think they want, I think they really liked the idea of having, um, you know, three safeties on the field at one time and maybe five, five secondary guys in the, in the field, on the field at one time in the nickel. Um, and, they, and I think they feel like prior, prior brings that to them. So I want to talk a little bit about the bowl game, but the final question I have for you on recruiting, and this is obviously the next logical question every fan base asks, who can we reasonably expect to contribute early next year or the year after? Yeah, so I mean, early playing time. Um, I mean, obviously, I think Tyree is an easy answer. Uh, you know, he's the best. He's the best running back they've landed in a long, long time, at least from a recruiting standpoint. Hey, James Aldridge was a five star. <laughs> that, that was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> it just always makes um, me laugh. I was so excited about James Aldridge's five star. Right. Right. No, I, I get it. No, Ty, I mean, no. So I think. I think you can expect at least in a lim- in some limited role where kind of like how they used Lindsey this year at go- moving forward when they got more comfortable with him. I could easily see Tyree playing a role like that where he just brings some speed on a more limited basis next year. Um, depending on what Cole Komet does, uh, maybe maybe even depending on what he doesn't do. I mean, if he does come back, I could still see Michael Mayer forcing his way onto the field. Um, I kind of view him as kind you know like Hamilton. I mean. Who would have thought, even with Hamilton as a five-star, that he was going to see the field with, with Gilman and, and Elliott? So, I mean, maybe a guy like Mayer forces himself onto the field. I mean, obviously, Jordan Johnson, with with the fact that, you know, Clay pulls out the door, Fink's out the door, there are spots to be had there. If, if the staff can't trust Austin and, you know, and certain guys don't develop, like a Keys or a Lindsey, then, you know, maybe Johnson has an opportunity there. Um, and then I think on the defense, I mean, on the, I think the long snapper is probably going to be the long snapper from day, from, you know, from day one. I know people don't really care about that, but, you know, it's an important role. And then, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think, I think Botello, I mean, like I said, he's my favorite recruit in the class. So I wouldn't be surprised if Botello finds, finds at least a Isaiah Foskey level role next year where he gets in four games, but he can make an impact in the four games they give him. Um, and then Riley Mills. Um, I think Riley Mills is, is already a, a, maybe the most physically developed kid they have coming in. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he finds a, finds a role on the defensive line as a, as a backup. So the, it just seems like there's way more upside out of this class than a, than a lot of the recent ones. And obviously everybody except for USC is pretty excited about their recruiting class after signing day. And then you got to see what happens, how people develop. But the, the best part about 2020 to me is stacking it with 2021. I believe I read that there's already five top 100 commits in that class. Is that right? Uh, hold on, let me let me think for a second. I think I think if you mix it between twenty four seven sports and rivals, there are. So you have Buckner, who's a top one hundred guy, Blake Fisher, who's essentially a five star. The two receivers and uh, Colsey and Styles are both uh, top one hundred guys. I think I think Styles was the guy that I think he's technically right outside in twenty four seven sports, but he's a borderline five star on rivals. Um, who am I missing? Kane, Kane Barong. I don't know if he's top 100 on on either one, but he's very close. He's a tight end out of Georgia. Um, if I'm missing someone, I'm, I don't have everything in front of me right now. But no, I I think those would be the five guys people are talking about. And at, at the very least, it's four. Um, and I think Barong is a is a top 100 guy on 24 seven sports. Right so I'm not sure how far into 2021 you've looked since we just got through 2020. Is there anybody else we should be looking for other than Will Shipley? Obviously that I, I want this kid so bad to pair him with Tyree and get him out there together. I can't even allow myself to dream of the possibilities of that, but is there any other names other than him that we should be paying attention to early for 2021 as a target? Yeah, I mean, there's two other running backs that they're hard after. I mean, Kamar Wheaton out of Texas, who might be the number one guy in the country. 
um, regardless of position. He does have legitimate interest in Notre Dame. Um, Donovan Edwards is another running back. He was just on campus from uh, um, from Michigan. Uh, looks like Michigan and Ohio State are probably the other two that are in the mix there. Um, offensive line, they're going to have. A, I think they're going to end up with a really, really good offensive line class. I mean, you have Landon Tengwall, uh, Rocco Spindler. Um, let's see, Wyatt Wyatt Milliam, Garrett Dellinger. Ruben Fathery, Trey Zoon, those are all guys I think they have a legitimate shot at, um, and they're all four stars or five stars at the moment. Um, if you go to the defensive side of the ball, they just offered a, a defensive end out in New Jersey who really wanted a Notre Dame offer, and as long as he's has a committable offer, his name's Aaron Armitage, um, I think they'll land him if they, if, if they really pursue. Um, they offered a linebacker recently out of Florida named Brandon Jennings, who I think if they don't if they don't lead for him, they're in the top group. Um, he might be the top linebacker in the entire country. And since they didn't land any linebackers to a, to a certain extent on purpose this year, um, I think that they're going to go after you know two or three at the very minimum uh, for next year's class. Um, and then you know I think a lot of people are underwhelmed with the with the secondary that they land or the DBs that they landed uh, this past cycle, but they're in on a few really good ones next cycle. There's a kid out of the same high school as Jordan Johnson. Um, ironically, his name also is Johnson, but it's Jacqueline Johnson. So kind of the same initials there, uh, Ohio state, Notre Dame battle between them. Uh, there's an in-state kid named Dalen Carnell, uh, who they really like that. I think it's the same kind of, it's kind of the same thing as Armitage. If they push for him, I think they land him. Um, those are, I mean, those are some of the bigger names to really think of right now. There's a lot of other guys out there, and it's still really early. I mean, I think at this point last year, Botello wasn't even offered by Notre Dame. So you can kind of think about it from that perspective. It, it's still really, really early in the 2021 cycle. Well, it just seems apparent that the arrow's pointing straight up as far as Notre Dame's recruiting. That's super encouraging. So with all this recruiting momentum, the next best thing Notre Dame could do is not lose to a five-loss team in this bowl game. And yeah. and it's tricky, and I just hope the players and staff aren't like we are, where the game has kind of taken a back seat to recruiting and Chip Long being gone. So what are, what are your overall thoughts about playing Iowa State and what we need to watch out for? Um, well, I, I hate the fact that they're playing Iowa State. I, I want to throw that out there first. And it's mostly because I think Iowa State's actually pretty good. Um, yeah, but and, see, that's the thing. If you played Iowa State and they're 10-2, and two, that even changes it. But Iowa State with yeah, the five yeah, losses absolutely. is the tricky part. That, no, absolutely. That, that, that's the part I hate about it. They're 7-5, and five, so if they lose, people are like, okay, you lost to a 7-5 and five team. And if you win then they're like, okay, well, Iowa State was 7-5, and five, so they're obviously not that good. But that's the problem with playing them. I think they are they are really good, or at least not – I shouldn't say really good. You don't lose you don't lose five games if you're a really good program. But they don't they, – they're always in their games. I think I, I have a buddy of mine on – and you might have seen this. He, he's, on, he's on Notre Dame Twitter, um, and he's an Iowa State graduate. He put out a stat today that I thought was really interesting, and he – he was. He said that Iowa State had not lost a game by double digits, or, or sorry, they've only lost one game by double digits in the last three seasons. That's pretty impressive. So we always get blown out once a year, as we've seen. Iowa State in the last three years, even though they haven't necessarily won a crap ton of games, they also don't lose games by a whole lot. So to think that it's like a pushover game where they're going to win by 15 or even 20 or whatever, um, you know, you're probably mistaken in thinking that. So, so they're a scary opponent, and they have. I think they have a dynamic offense that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I have ultimate trust in Clark Lee, especially with you know almost a full month to prepare. So, in that sense, I you know I I think that they'll be fine, and I don't think Iowa State's defense is anything special. I think that they have a good defensive coordinator, but you know, maybe even a top half defense. Um, considering who you know who they what conference they're in and the lack of uh, the lack of defense that they play in that conference, um, but no, I think Notre Dame's going to be able to put up points. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State's able to put up you know twenty plus at the very minimum. Yeah, I mean the 
the two biggest things that I'm looking for is one, I want to, I'm a little, I'm, I'm interested and slightly concerned. I want to make sure this offense runs smoothly in this bowl game. You have the change. So, so different things are going on now. I don't want to see us blowing all the timeouts because we can't get a play in because everything's changed. So I'm a little just concerned about the, you know, making sure thing plays get in smoothly and there's not a bunch of weird hiccups because of the change in the offense. And then defensively, I know Purdy's a good deep ball thrower. You could have way more talent. If you get burned over the top a couple times, it changes everything. And I'm ultra aware of that. Yeah, I, I think the good thing about, I think the, the, the part of this game that gives me confidence is I think a lot of Iowa State's strengths play into Notre Dame's strengths. And a lot of Notre Dame's, like I should say on their on the offensive side of the ball for the most part for them, and a lot of Notre Dame's just strength in general. I don't think Iowa State's going to have too big of an answer for. Um, so, for example, I mean, I think obviously Clark Lee, me and you both agree he's the best. He's the best on the roster. I mean, if you want to count coaches, players, whatever, Clark Lee's the MVP. So, um, and, and and for even though everybody seems to hate Troy Pride and and. They don't think the secondary is as good as the stats show. The fact of the matter is, I think they were a top five pass efficiency team um, this year. So I don't. I think Notre Dame's going to handle themselves there a little bit. Um, and then you know, even with Julian Aquara out and um, and uh, Dalen Hayes out, I, I think our defensive ends are going to be able to do some work. I mean, Khalid Kareem's going to be playing in his last game in a Notre Dame uniform, and we know how hard he goes. I wouldn't be surprised if he has one of those, you know, three-sack efforts that gives him MVP of the bowl game or something like that. Um, and then the one guy I'd really be looking looking at for uh, for Iowa State is their tight end, Charlie Kohler. But then again, he's going to be matched up against Kyle Hamilton, Alohi Gilman, Jalen Elliott most of the game. And I don't think that there's any three in the country that, you know, maybe outside of a Grant Delpret or Xavier McKinney from Alabama and LSU, I don't think there's a there's a – three safeties in the country that I'd really want to be guarding one of the best tight ends in the country. And uh, I think the stat on Kyle Hamilton tells itself. He has like a three point passer rating against him this year. So, yeah, it's, it's just kind of little, a little uncomfortable the way it's all setting up. It seems like a trap. There's no doubt. Notre Dame has more talent. They're deeper, more established. It's it, it just makes me a little. Let's put it this way: I'm fully anticipating being agitated for a lot of this game. Like I'm just, I, I like the way they play. It's kind of gritty, and like I could just see it being an annoying. And I just, and then eventually Notre Dame wins by like ten, and then we all forget about this game in three years. You know? Right. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I mean, that. That's just kind of how I see it. No, I I, I agree. I mean, I think. Do I think Notre Dame's going to lose? No. But do I think it's going to be a game where, you know, I'm sitting drinking a beer by the second quarter, talking to my dad and almost barely watching? No, I don't think that that's going to be how it is. Yeah, and so I'm already just building that in, that it's going to probably be frustrating and that they are better than those five losses uh, would suggest. Um, so that I think that's it. I covered everything on my notes. Do you have anything else that I didn't mention that you could think of? Uh, the only other thing I, I mentioned, and this I'm going to circling back to recruiting here for a second, because obviously that's that's my uh, my pride and joy when it comes to Notre Dame football. But um, I mentioned that that's that group of seven that I think is like in a tier of their own when it comparatively to the rest of the class. I, I want to make it known that maybe outside of like how talented the Clemson class is, because I think they have like seven five stars coming in, which is just ridiculous. Um, but I think that that group of seven specifically can compete with anybody in the country when it comes to the, the top notch talent. And I, like I said, I think I know Xavier Watts is technically like a, a three star when you look at 24 seven composite and, you know, rivals has them, you know, not ranked as a four star yet, which I think is ridiculous. But when you talk to Notre Dame people and, you know, the people that really follow the program, I mean, he's a top-notch player, and he's well-deserving of being in that top seven. Um, 
and I, I mentioned guys like Riley Mills who, you know, are, are just crazy physically developed. And then, and then you have the five that everybody really knows about with the three, with, you know, with the three skill position players that you mentioned and Patello and Tosh Baker. I mean, I don't think you're going to find many classes that have a, a better group of seven guys. Um, and I hope your listeners uh, take that to heart. Yeah, it's overall it's it's hard not to be encouraged. The arrows pointing straight up on recruiting, and it's just it's exciting to think about. I mean, obviously everybody has to develop, and uh, you know all that kind of stuff. Um, but the arrows pointing straight up, and you just got to find a way to win this bowl game, and then build that momentum and keep it rolling. So um, that that's all I have. I'm, I thank you so much for joining me. You're my recruiting guy, so. I always go to you when this stuff uh, pops up. And so if I don't talk to you, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You as well. You as well. Well, I'm sure we'll talk soon, at least around the bowl game or after. So, Yep, for sure. Thanks a lot, Nathan. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this week's show. I hope everybody has a, a good Christmas, and we're just going to have to see how next Saturday goes. It's going to be a hell of a day of football with our game and then the playoff game. So, Arrows pointing up, find a way to win this game, and then let's just keep it moving to next year. Merry Christmas.